Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Ah, Mr. Jackson. There he is. It's been a Reunited. long it's been a long way between the various forts, you know. It's been a lot of dangerous territory between the forts. That's exactly true, isn't it? Yeah. It feels like uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, we but lots of Yeah, time. we were on the road for 3 weeks. We just got back. Wow. Yeah, we were supposed to get back at Friday night at around nine o'clock, but based on the general failure of big systems, we got home at three o'clock. <laughs> the general failure of big systems. I love it. Yeah. Have you noticed it? I mean, maybe you haven't noticed. You really notice it when you travel. And I think there's a there's a couple of things about it. One is that the biggest generation that's ever existed on the planet is rapidly retiring. Okay, mm-hmm. it's the baby boomer generation, and which you're not a member of, I don't think, are you? No, I am an elder Generation X. I'm the lead. I'm in the lead cohort of the Generation X model. 1966. Yeah, so. yeah. but the baby boom boomers were 125 million. Okay, that was a really big whack, and and they're the youngest is fifty nine right now. They're and they're rapidly within the next six years officially reach retirement age. And I think COVID speeded up the process of people moving out of their jobs. But yes. what's been generally lost is people's general behind the scenes understanding how big systems work. You know, mm-hmm. for example, if you went to in the job market in your mid twenties. So for baby boomers, that would have been beginning of 1970. Yeah, probably mm-hmm. beginning of 1970 because they were the first really educated. This was the first really educated, mm-hmm. college educated generation. So they go in. So that's in 70. So that's 50, 53 years ago. And a lot of big systems have been created during that period of time, and especially in the transportation industry. And there's a writer, Hayek, F.A. Hayek, and he talks about the difference between implicit knowledge or explicit knowledge, which can be read out of books and out of manuals on how things operate and how things are supposed to be done. And then there's implicit knowledge. It's the way you kind of figure out once you're on the job, you know, yeah, well, the manual says this, but it really doesn't handle this type of situation, and it really doesn't handle that type of situation. So there's a sort of knowledge that builds up. You know, if this problem arises, this is how you handle it, but it's never written down. And that's all in the knowledge of the people who've got 20, 30, 40, and finally 50 years experience. And now there are, and what I think happened during COVID is that they decided personally individually, they decided, let's just take an early out. And a lot of them were given offers because they were the highest paid people and they were given an offer and they left. What we're left with, the system's just as big, but we're left in the hands of people who are trying to figure it out from the rule book. And it's, you know, the interesting thing is that the, it feels like the wealth balance is too, that the wealth is all in the hands of the Of the baby boomers, yeah. The wealthiest generation was my generation. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm two years before the baby boomers. You're mm-hmm. a year after or two years after the... I'm a year, yeah, I was 66. I think that the baby boomers went yeah. to 1964, right? So yeah. 
I'm two so years we're, after your two years before. Yeah. So we have an amazing perspective because neither of us are baby boomers. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that. You've been you were leaving the boomers ahead. Forty four. I was forty four. I was forty four. Uh-huh. So they officially it starts in forty six. And okay. I mean they're arbitrary. Mm-hmm. These things like generations are very arbitrary. But yeah, after yeah. a while yeah. they they become real. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of what people identify with. and uh, But I'm just generally knowing because there's just so many screw-ups, like at mm-hmm. hotels and at, you know, like big hotels. We were at A360 and we were at Canyon Ranch last week. And first of all, there aren't as many employees. I mean, they, all the big, big systems have far fewer employees. And uh, there are employees who don't have the inside knowledge. Wow, this is really, I mean, there's something very interesting about that line of thinking because... And that's why I was uh, talking about being between forts. Yeah. Okay. Uh But when I dial the number for Kissimmee, Florida, I feel a total confidence of what's going to happen. There's there's inside knowledge. There's inside knowledge. But Uh, um, I'm sorry, Kissimmee, Kissimmee. I miss... Mispronounced it. I don't know if there's no way. Who knows? The the interesting thing is that over the last we've it's been three weeks since we talked. So to miss two. Yeah, I was in Chicago. It. I was yeah, in yeah. Chicago. So it's yeah. technically almost been a month then since our last. Very right, technical. because we missed two. Yeah, yeah. Technically, okay. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, you, you look at what media and what's what's going on in our you know our lens here of cloudlandia and two biggest things that have happened over the gap here is gpt4 has come out now and the dollar is starting to be d you know d i don't know what the right word is d standardized i guess right that it's not the it's starting to become not the reserve currency, de-reserved or whatever. I forget mm-hmm. what the economic term is. That's Those one are- of the two things that you told me is a fact. The other thing is a conjecture. Okay, good. You would, <laughs> of all people, have some have some thought on that. So no, it's a fact that uh, GPT four uh-huh. came out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about that first because that is, you know, you, you talk about big systems. I've really been, I'm observing it from. I feel like often visually. I imagine myself like on the top of a hill looking down in the valley of everybody where everybody's attention is going and everybody is like the hound dog pack is hot on the <laughs> trail of the GPT-4 right now. You see the trail. There's, right? a, and there's a really big direct weekend that's just really happened. It's like the Woodstock of imagination, <laughs> Woodstock oh. of tech imagination, you know. <laughs> yeah, and on that yeah. same thing, I had just really I had dinner with Tommy Mello. I don't know if you've met Tommy. Through no, that. I haven't. So he has a created a big company that does garage door, and he's built oh. this huge small company That's and great. just recently sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. And That's a very necessary. It's a 100% mainland. And, and very necessary. I, very necessary. Very necessary. Yeah, yeah. You look at, you look at we're surrounded by them, how, however mm-hmm. many garage doors there are, right? And I, so I've been looking at, my big thing is, where is this chat GPT? Where is AI? Where's all this stuff going to have the biggest impact 
right? Like if you look at the, in the big picture of things, I've been looking into where does the, if we look at the economics of it, right? That's really what's going to matter. Where's the entrepreneurial opportunities in this? And, you know, I've really looked at where is this going to have the biggest impact on people? And, you know, you talk about the baby boomers because I've been thinking a lot about them specifically and more about, you know, Americans, homeowners, people, families, local people living in, you know, in America, North America. What I was surprised to see how the budget of families is spent and how little of the budget is actually, you know, discretionary spending or, you know, non-essential kind of spending, like so much of it. When you, between your, between housing and all the related stuff around that, maintenance and everything, transportation and all the related things around that, insurance and gas and repairs and everything to do with that, and food and everything to do with that. I mean, it's very quickly, you get up to the tippy top of the 15% that is including everything to do with education, entertainment, clothing, health care's in there. Uh, I no. put that above yeah. the line, not in the discretion because everybody's spending that on health insurance and right. health care like mm-hmm. that. I looked at that as a mandatory, a mandatory thing, yeah. but that sort of straddles Cloudlandia as well in that a lot of that can be managed and enhanced with a Cloudlandia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most of those things, the majority of the spending and economy is really inland based on a local, in the local bubble kind of thing. Yep. And so it's an interesting I, thought, like the, with the disproportionate amount of attention that the, that AI and stuff is, is getting with, you know, I wonder, you know, very little or not as much, I guess, impact on where the actual economy is, you know? Yeah, I think it's 20 to 40-year-old, maybe 18 to 40-year-old. I mean, if you're taking a big swath of it, it's 40-year-old white guys who speak English who generally have a lot of, they have infinite time to explore new things because they don't have any relationships and don't have any commitments. And so, and I think a lot of them have been let go by the big tech companies over the last six months, six, seven months. And two of the reasons for that, well, the biggest reason is money is getting expensive. And so for since for 20 years anyway, the money's really been cheap. And I mean by money, how much it costs you to borrow money has generally been in the one and two percent range, which yeah. historically is very cheap money. And I think what the big tech company did was that they stocked up on body for the last 20 years and they they're pushing their projects out five years, 10 years. So they had a lot of bodies who they just snapped up out of the university, you know, the university output and they put them on projects that don't have any practical reality for quite many years into the future. And when the money got really expensive, then they started saying, let's bring, let's get rid of all those people and bring it down to the projects that are important for the next year or two. 
you know, which you and I really have to do all the time. I mean, we don't have, you know, we don't spend a lot of time and money on people who are working on five and 10 year projects. You know, we. Right. We, that's true. Yeah. So, so these people got thrown out. You know, and living in very expensive neighborhoods. Cities, right. And, yeah, yeah. And I think what happened is that they've distributed themselves across the economy. And there's a new thing that if you master it, there's probably a big future. So so that's what mm-hmm. I think is happening. But if you had a job, I don't think, you know, I mean, if you have a job that's more or less a stable job based on relationship, mm-hmm. based on the quarterly not based on the quarterly stock market price, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think they're, it's a, I think the big corporations, I think all the really big systems are really having late night discussions about this or having weekend discussions about this. Yeah. But I think most people with new technology, they wait to see how it falls out before they get interested in it. If their neighbor isn't doing it, if the people they hang out with aren't doing it, they're not going to do it. Yeah, and that's kind of the interesting thing. I look at my, I look at my neighborhood. You know, I live in a gated fifty homes in here. It's a little bubble of a gem that is a self-contained kind of world, and they're primarily, you know, older people. I'm not the youngest in here now, by the way, which is nice. But I said that twenty years ago when I moved in here, I said. To myself, 20 years from now, I'll be old enough to live in here, you know. And here it is, 20 years later. 20 years ago, you should have been you should have been carrying the baggage. Uh, Right, exactly. That's exactly right. Get that young guy. Get that young guy. See if he'll. Yeah. Yeah. This young guy would see if he'll he'll sweep the driveway for us or something. They must have. I wonder sometimes. They must have thought I was some kind of drug dealer or something. Who's this? Young guy with the sports car that doesn't seem to work. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So I look at these and I think about like how is how is Chat GPT going to improve or enhance or affect life in Valhalla here? You know, and I look at all of these. Yeah, you know, we talked about what these are all people who you know, are primarily retired who are cash confident let's say, yeah. um, that are not like looking or working at jobs. It's an interesting, I'm just fascinated by that whole thing about how much, how the disproportionate attention. But again, it's just because that who's driving all of the information yeah. that's coming out too. Yeah. It's the same group who's focused on it, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a project just beginning, an AI project, and it's with Evan yeah. Ryan, who was, you know, he's a free zone. He's coming into free zone. And he was on the panel, the five-person panel at the summit on chat. And he said to me, he said, can I send an impact filter to you, Dan, on the topic of digital Dan, what we could oh. do with a digital Dan. And so he mm-hmm. followed up. We were at A360, A360, Abundance 360 technology conference two two weeks ago. And he had sent us a impact filter and we discussed it at the impact filter. And then I sent him back a response to it of how I would utilize it. In other words, utilize. Mm -hmm. And what the theme is right now, we want a completely separate knowledge base for the chat GPT. It'll have a firewall, so nobody outside the firewall can have access to 
but it'll be everything that's been created in G-Coach since 1989 will be the knowledge base. And then we'll ask it. And then, first of all, I'll be the first person to use it. And I'll ask them all sorts of questions about what's already been created in Coach that can be reutilized, you know. And so that's where we're starting. And But it's going to be an internal project for the, you know, for the predictable future, in the sense that we want to know what we know. And we want to know yeah. how we can use it better, how we can reutilize it and everything else. So I think that's one of the directions that this is going to go in. Yeah. To imagine the perfect knowledge. The, the interesting thing is you... The, well, it's, the not perf- that, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. No, it's not yeah, no. perfect. It's resonant. In other words, mm-hmm. it's resonant knowledge. It's, you've already created this and it had a use at one time. Does it still yeah, have yeah. a use? Can you support it? And so... That's one. But my feeling is if you have a really broad network of individuals who are thinkers about something, and and if you did a survey of them, you'd find probably 50 different uses for it. Well, the interesting thing, I think what I was meaning with the perfect, I mean, I think I meant to kind of organize contextually, right? It's all the fundamental thing of it is the thinking tool that you've invented and created over all of the years and all the thinking that goes along with them and all your, you know, big and small books that you've got. And I thought about that same thing for me, if we were to do a digital game, the yeah. good thing that I think would aid that is that I have a framework of the eight profit activators that conveniently can categorize and how oh, yeah. all of the concepts and all the tools and ideas and heuristics and, you know, exercises and insights, stories, all can easily be categorized underneath that. Well, historically, one of the technologies, if you want to use it in that category, that humans probably use the most is the mirror. Yes. I never thought about it as a technology. We like, yeah, we like look, we like looking at ourselves. Uh huh. Right, right, right. <laughs> I want to have a really good conversation with Dan for the last thirty-four years. You know, well, what's yeah, he been right. up to? You know, because <laughs> I've forgotten about ninety percent of it. So I'd like to be reminded. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, and yeah. So anyway, so the, what I'm proposing to Evan that it's a collaboration that we develop our own system insight and there will be IP that we can develop out of our own use of it. But he can, his whole point of taking one entrepreneur through this, he can develop his own IP and then he can do it with other free zone entrepreneurs. You know, he can do mm-hmm. the same thing that he's doing with me. With you know, And he's 28, so he's 50 years younger than I am. So he's got mm-hmm. a lot of time think about it, you know, and, you know, and generally I find the three toughest decades in life are the teen years, the thirties and the sixties. This is just based on personal having well, that, been through all that's interesting. Three, yeah. I say, and he's just, you know, approaching his thirties. And I think the thirties uh-huh. are a tough decade because I think that a lot of investment is made in bright, talented people up till 30, but they're kind of pushed off the cliff and see yeah. if they can uh-huh. buy at 30. So you have to sort of sort yourself out for 10 years during your 30s. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you going to just be who you, where you came from, or are you going to be something new? Right. Um, I think that happens during the 30s. The teens are self, you know, the teens are self, you know, self-explaining. I mean, I mean, that's a tough 
that's a tough decade. And I think it's even tougher yeah. today. I think it's a really tough. And I noticed the 60s were really tough because if you're not planning to retire, you're in a very small minority. And right. uh, there's all these messages. I mean, you don't go to I mean, I bet I've been in social situations for the last six months where 10 people said, what are you doing now that you're not working? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I found, yeah. you know, I find where I'm at, where I am is 56, soon to be 57 in a couple of six yes. weeks, I guess, and your birthday yeah. next month too. And I find that this is a really interesting age to me is yeah. that I'm so, I'm used to being on the young side of the crowds that I'm used to being in kind of thing, right? Like for the last five years, it's I've been kind of on the upswing or, you know, surrounded by or in groups where everybody pretty much is older than me. Yeah. And now I'm finding that it's really interesting because my mind still thinks I'm 30, you know, or, you know, in in, in that range. And now I look at it that I see people in their early 30s and I realize I could legitimately be their father, you know, and I look at that's like a really, it's an interesting thing that they look at me as older, you know, and that's kind of a, that's a shift because my mind hasn't caught up yet with that image and kind of, you know, looking forward yeah. for next 25 years to the last 25 and it's a really well, well i think there's three reasons why you i don't even think that you think you're young that's sort of a timeless you have mm-hmm. sort of a time timeless experience of yourself and i think there are three reasons one is you're an entrepreneur uh, the decades meet something different if you're an entrepreneur Okay. And number two is that you're involved in a creative activity. And that's not really a function of time. You know, it's entrepreneurism isn't a function of time. And I think that being creative. And I think the other thing is that you're basically someone who comes up with new ideas. And and I think all three of them rates you from the general narrative of what your biological, your chronological age actually means. Yeah, it's and that, so I look at the you know thinking about the digital dean. I've been thinking that same thought and all the framework you know the before, during, after the whole profit activator system, the framework, all the podcasts, all the courses, the oh yeah, um, the journals. I have shelves of journals from where all these thoughts begin. You know, I was looking back, I found the original, the drawing of the who, not how drawing of the, you know, the timeline where the shortcut of who versus how. And yeah, so that just looking back in my journals, it's really, it's amazing. It's also amazing at how many of the same thoughts that I was having then with myself, I'm now, you know, some sort of the same things. So it's... That's uh, what I think. I think it's sort of timeless. You're working yeah. on certain things. You're working on, yeah. you know, you're working on certain things. And, uh, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, I find it really interesting. And it was interesting. I was at A360 for four days, you know. We, yeah. And, and the two things which I more or less predicted to Peter that were going to be the takeaways for most people were the 
section on AI, which I thought was really great. He had five panelists. I think it was on, when was it? It was on Monday. It was on Monday. So he started the program really at noon because in the morning on Monday, he has for new people who he takes them through the whole exponential thinking model. And then we had the AI people and they were all really good and they were all really different. And and that was a real takeaway. And then you had people who are trying to save the world on, on day two. You know, uh-huh. I didn't find all that interesting. I think the world will take care of itself. It's been through agreed. It's yeah. been through a lot of evidence. You know, it's you know, it's millions of years old and it's had done this and it's done that and whether or not our species survives or not really isn't a concern of the world and uh, you know and and then and then it started getting interesting again on Wednesday and Wednesday he had a really terrific thing he had a real fast pace 10 minutes six people who are who have had breakthroughs using regenerative medicine including Tim Nelson who's you know in the program and we met him last year and uh, he's he's in coach and everything he's created a cure for a congenital heart disease that involves a non-existent or a very weak heart muscle that pushes mm-hmm. the blood and so he described what he was doing and then the afternoon was i mean that whole day was really superb and then you had singularity stuff on thursday morning which i didn't find interesting and that was it but the two takeaways were the ai half day and the more or less full day on regenerative medicine and yeah. you know and those are the two Two takeaways. And so I came up with a new quarterly book title. Okay. Using technology to stay the same. Oh, I love that. Because yeah. that's really what we would want is that's all. I oh, yeah. Is yeah. That, that, you know, let me ask you this. Do you stay the, do you feel the same as when you were 50? Five fifty-six. You know, twenty. Oh, oh, sure. I also get you as the ghost of Christmas future here. You know, as being oh, twenty-two uh, years I mean, uh, ahead of me. <laughs> lifestyle, relationships the same. Or yeah. you know, I mean, lifestyles the same. Yeah. Business models yeah. the same. Nothing's changed. You know, I mean, there's been right. a lot of flurry. Yeah. There's been a lot of flurry outside, but I stopped watching mm-hmm. television five years ago, so I don't have to pay yeah. attention to other people's freakouts. And, you know, and never did social media. So I don't, that wasn't a bother, you know, you know, you know, I mean, there's flies and mosquitoes out there. You just have to have really good screens. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So what I think people actually use technology for is not to change. They use it to stay the same. This is funny. So, so what I think we'll use, what if you're we'll use, we'll use chat GPT as it develops. We'll use it not to be different, but to actually stay the same. We don't like, you know, we kind of like the way things are going. Wow. That's a really... I mean, you have the patio. Like that. You know, I mean, the center of the universe is the patio, right? Right. I'm sitting in the center of the universe right now. And then the chair actually is the center of yeah. the universe. And, uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. And there's no way that's changing. You know? <laughs> right. Right, right. We may bring in a new chair every now and then. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that you won't. I'm not saying you're not going to upgrade your standards. But, oh, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. But we basically upgrade our standards about what we already have and what we're already doing. Yeah, I love that. And that's such a, it's comforting. 
in a lot of ways because when I look back and think, you know, uh, I was, I, for some, I always look at that 22 year difference between us. I look at that and put both forward and backwards, you know, because we've, I've known. Yeah, but I think it's the, I think it's the, uh, again, the three things that I identified. Mm -hmm. I think it's that you're an entrepreneur. And I think entrepreneurs have to change less than anybody in the general population, even Mm -hmm. though the, you know, the narrative that you go to, you know, you got to be constantly changing, you know, changes, you know, but all the really successful entrepreneurs I know don't really change at all. One of the reasons why we became an entrepreneur, we didn't want to be subject to higher decision makers who could change our lives. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. That's where, you know, that way we, oh, my, you know, I want to wake up every day and say, what would I like to do today? That's yeah. the thing. I have that possibility, <laughs> right? Of that. Of <laughs> and primary, having, meetings, yeah. having, meet, having meetings with other people who yeah. are committed not to doing anything isn't really on the schedule. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, well, Siri, you Siri, you are going in the refrigerator, I'll tell you. She's always interrupting us. She only interrupts you and me. She only interrupts you and me. So so I got a feeling that Apple, they can't wait to hear what we're saying. <laughs> I think that's, they've got the extra <laughs> surveillance they, going on here. Uh, they they want to know what's coming next. They're like, I think they're on to us. They're on to yeah. us. Listen in. Why do they tell us we should be paying attention to? Oh, my goodness. Or the, no, it's not even Apple. It's the Politburo in Beijing. Yeah. That is <laughs> yeah. something. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, everybody talks about that. They know everything, the Chinese. And I said, if you know everything, what are you doing with it? I mean, yeah, what exactly. do you, you know, I mean, how do you sort out everything? Yeah. Did I ever tell you about this guy who's got a research firm in New York? And we have a discussion group once a quarter with a whole bunch of coach people here in Toronto. It's been, we're in our 25th year now. We've been doing it yeah. every quarter. And one of, and you can bring guests. And one of our entrepreneurs who runs a hedge fund here in Toronto, he brought a picture that he utilizes. His name is Leland Miller, and he's got a really unique coach. So what he has is 200 individual Chinese citizens who don't know each other and don't know that the other 199 exist. And they're in all places in China, and they have five or six things they have to look at every week, which are just observations about what they're seeing. So they go, one of them might be to go to the market and see if the shelves are filled or the shelves are not filled or they're they're out of certain products. That would be one thing. Another one might be looking at, is the traffic busy or is it different? So from 200 Chinese, he puts together about 1,200 facts a week, and he's got an algorithm that puts it all together that basically states what the state of the Chinese economy is right now and what people are worried about. Yeah. And then he puts it into a puts it into a report and his biggest clients are the CIA, the National Security Agency, you know, the you know, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff of the United States and also the leadership of the Communist Party of China because that report is the only accurate report 
that the Chinese leadership gets on their own economy. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, pretty, uh, that's a fascinating way to really like get a on-the-ground look. Yeah, quantify things that aren't showing up. You can't digitally get that. Well, the other that's thing is good. that those 200, nobody knows who they are. He's the only person who knows who the 200 are. And the, none of the 200 know who anybody else is. And and the is kind of, you know, it's kind of just, hey, you know, you know, it's kind of like reporting on the weather, you know. They're kind of like, it's, uh, it's, yeah, hey, stick your head up there. Is it raining? Is it yeah, raining geez, they ran out. They ran out, you know, they ran out of duck. They didn't have any duck this way. I mean, duck, how can you run out of duck, you know? But he, he's got a way of calculating, you know, the information. But there's like 1,200 facts, and he can measure what the facts were a week ago, a month ago, a quarter ago, and he can see trend lines. And, and uh, you know, and anyway, but it just shows you the cleverness of human beings. You know, that who would put that together? You know, is that big data? No, that's very small data. Very small that, data, writ large. Yeah, right. That's tiny data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the other thing is that it's anecdotal. It's not, you know, you know, it's not, it's his assessment of their judgments. You know, the, the 200 people are making six judgments. And they know what, you know, they develop their own sense that things are either getting bigger, getting smaller, getting better, getting worse. And they just send in the report, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and all they're doing is walking around. It's just another, you know, another brick in that wall of proof of the capital allocation being the, you know, pure intellectual game, you know. I mean, yeah. really, that's an advantage of really seeing the way that things get shaped and how that's going to affect things upstream. That's what fascinates me about hedge fund guys is they're just so, yeah, it's such a thing with, you know, macro, the macro of micros, you know? Yeah, it was just like the breeze just changed. I just noticed the breeze. Did you feel that? Yeah, big data picks up on hurricanes. This is breeze. You know, I mean, big data didn't, you know, talking about a recent event that big data didn't pick up on was the Silicon Valley Bank, you know? Right, yeah. They were, you know, and it was only because, well, first of all, I mean, the autopsy on this particular thing is going to reveal some really weird stuff, I think. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that they did is they had too much money coming in. And they they had so much money count coming in that they got rid of their risk manager nine months before before the collapse, and they replaced them them with a ESG, you know, the environmental social governance thing. The, the, okay, they replaced it with a person, and that would have if you're a hedge fund manager, you picked up that breeze. I mean, you picked up that breeze early. Whoa, we got to get money out of that place. Yeah. They just lost all their money. There wasn't, they were in a negative position within 36 mm-hmm. hours. It was just went, whoop, the money just yeah, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. There was a- as Captain Kirk said, she's dead. Or the, as Bones said to Captain Kirk, she's dead, Jim. She's dead, Jim. There was a <laughs> South Park episode that they did that. Oh, it's gone. We put $100 in the world. We'll just put this to work for you, but it's gone. It okay. Do so well. Okay. So we've talked about a fact that GPT-4 came out. Now the conjecture yeah. about the U.S. That's dollar. What I was just about to ask you. So you're, you know, you've 
you know, you may be, aside from Peter Zion, the world's leading Zionist. And <laughs> I'd love to hear your love to hear your take. Yeah, there's I have a in that same discussion group where the hedge fund manager is, I have a wealth manager here and and he's always really bullish in the US. He always says a bullish and I asked him why it was and he said, Well there's just an interesting statistic and it's the total value of all transactions in the world that can be measured on a daily basis. And he said there's actually a you know, there's a a measuring agency that actually does that. I just mm-hmm. asked him in Febu- February, so it was about six mm-hmm. weeks ago. And I said, so what's the value right now? And he says, that's about $5.4 trillion every day is the amount of transactions in the world. And uh, and this can be measured. In other words, it shows up on yeah. some sort of report. And mm-hmm. he said, the interesting thing is that 90% of all those transactions are in U.S. dollars. And that's why it's the reserve currency is because, for example, China can't do any business with the rest of the world except Russia because it does its but Russia, China can't do any transactions with the rest of the world that aren't in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. It has to be in U.S. dollars. You know, China, Russia can't do any deals with the rest. Well, they can't do any deals with the rest of the world right now. And, right. Uh, yeah. So the and yeah and so the factor is that it's like the other thing you know that is subject for another day. But as far as I can tell, this GPT, this ChatGPT, isn't really happening in any other language except English. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. English. I mean, English is not. There's no danger of English not being the world, the world dialect. You know, the yeah. official language of, of Cloudlandia, that's for sure. Yeah. But the international financial community, all transactions, banking community, are all in English. Okay. And so one of the pillars that supports the dollar as a reserve currency is that everything's in English. Okay. So, you know, the previous reserve currency was the pound, and that was, you know, that was English speaking. So, there's a lot of factors. The other thing is the fact that the U.S. is indifferent in how the dollar is used outside of the United States because the economy of the United States is so big that, you know, that, for example, the U.S., if you take China, if you take Canada and Mexico out of the equation, the United States only deals with the rest. So I'm not taking those two. They represent 10% of the foreign trade of the United States is Canada and Mexico. rest mm-hmm. of the world, all the other countries and everything only represent 10%. So outside of North America, the U.S. only deals about 10% with the rest of the world. Wow. So even, so this whole, this talk of, I'm not even 100% sure what just happened, but I, from what I gather, Russia and China did a deal to that Russia's or that the currency they're going to use for their trade is going to be the the Chinese yuan (laughs) or whatever it is, right? So so talk about like two sinking ships trying to tie each other together. Yeah, yeah, they've just sent a line. They just ceremonially. Yeah, they've just sent a line across. So Uh you know, and everything. I mean, they're both they're both in deep trouble. I mean, economically, Uh they're both deep, deeply in trouble, you know. And, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just that 
you know, it's just the fact that the reason why everybody uses the dollar is because everybody uses the dollar. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, so getting to uh, you know, yeah, the whole Yogi Barrett about the busy restaurant. <laughs> Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there has to be something that's at the center that you can count on. I mean, the world doesn't work mm-hmm. unless you have that. And I mean, I'm looking at the, you know, I just, I look at only two facts every day. One is the number of registrations that our company got and what's the exchange rate with the, of the American dollar with the Canadian dollar, you know, and maybe uh-huh. it's been in the one thirties, you know, it's the one thirty closer to one thirty six yesterday. And it's been right in that area now for the last two two years, two three two years, and everything else. And that's to our benefit because so much of our currency comes in in U.S. dollars and is yeah, translated. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's eighty percent of our income is in U.S. dollars, and eighty percent of our expenses are in Canadian dollars. Yeah, that's great. You know, and even near and things, uh, aren't, mentioned- and things aren't that more. Quite, you know, for our purposes, things aren't really that much more expensive in Canada than right. the same thing would be in the United States. So it's yeah. pretty well, yeah. So so I, so my sense is that currency is really interesting, and the reason is that the it's the number one weapon of the United States is actually the currency. Yeah, yeah, and that's where that's what I wondered is that when that weapon gets kind of taken away. That, that was the speculation, I think, that they were saying that when that happens, that now the threat of the dollar being, you know, taken away or being under anything is less, doesn't affect Russia and China. It actually, reinfor- it actually reinfor- reinforces the dollar more than anything uh-huh. else, you know. As uh-huh. the Chinese have learned big lessons over the last, all their talk about Taiwan and what they're doing to Taiwan, the moment it happens, the same sanctions that the world basically applied to the Chinese, to the Russians, they would immediately apply to the Chinese and that their economy would collapse in six months. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, they are 80% export, they are 80% mm-hmm. exports. And if they can't export, they don't have any. They don't have money. They won't get any energy. They don't have any food inputs, you know. But, you know, the media always roots for the visiting team. They don't vote for the, they don't root for the home team. Oh, that's great. I meant to yeah. ask you, how is the, how's Canyon Ranch thing uh, into the new uh, longevity yeah, technology? They're building, they're building a new one in Austin, okay. a big one, really much bigger than the Tucson one, but they're, Founder and visionary just died two weeks ago. I mean, he was long gone from the scene, but uh-huh. it was, you know, sort of, it had sort of historical, but they've been not growing, I would say, intellectually and creatively now for 25 years. I would mm-hmm. say 20, 20 years. They, for example, there wasn't one mention of chat GPT or regenerative medicine and mm-hmm. the and people say what's that i don't know what that is you know wow yeah you know, so you know mm-hmm. you know it was a you know a very visionary or breakthrough institution in its time but we love it there i mean we love it there the weather is great you know we have wonderful weather all week jupiter and venus i mean 
they have they have a observatory there you know you know one of the it's one of the in the network of observatories and and so they don't allow any upward light in the city of phoenix you can't have any lights pointing upward and boy can you see the stars there and you know and you know and jupiter and venus were very bright last week and you know, but you know, dozens of other stars that you don't see in Toronto. Um, yeah, and the weather was nice. It was got up to 80 one day. It was mostly in the high 60s to 80 and, you know, clear, no rain. I mean, you know, and food's good. Uh, yeah. It's not great, but, but food's good and, uh, you know, healthy. And, you know, we do our things and, uh, you know, it's part of the lifestyle. I saw that Tom Peters is retiring. Wow. At 80. 80 years old, and he's decided it's time. Yeah, he didn't really reinvent himself. That's a touche. That's a good little inside <laughs> joke there. He didn't really reimagine himself, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, these people, they get, you know, every once in a while on YouTube, I don't watch television anymore, but what would one of them, I don't think they get along. I don't think, know if they get along the way at the beginning, but Wood, Woodward and Bernstein, the ones who were responsible for Watergate. When you were a very young boy, you were a very mm-hmm. young boy at that time, and mm-hmm. they're the ones who really brought Nixon down, you know. And the rest of their life has been these are the two guys that brought down Nixon, and 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 Nixon's been kind of rehabilitated, you know. Like I've noticed, a lot of good articles being written on. But they're still out there. They're still out there. You know, it's like a, it's like a one-hit singer who. <laughs> yeah, this it's, is. Uh, I mean, I'm reading the his announcement on his blog, but I find it interesting to say that you know, November 20, November seventh, twenty twenty-two, my birthday, more specifically my 80th birthday. That's old, bro. Well, the reason for this short message is to say that after all those miles and all those books and the realization that 80 is a very large number, I'm announcing de facto and de jure, frankly, my retirement. I've given about as much as I can give, and now I'm going to take it easy. I mean, that, <laughs> that sounds like so that, interesting that, you know. That, that sounds like an email to the universe to schedule a I body pickup. I going to say. Yeah. I'm just going to put this stuff on the curb here. For the it's, uh, yeah. It's like Dave Chappelle. He says, you can think anything you want, but there are certain things you shouldn't say. Oh, my goodness. But isn't that <laughs> yeah. funny how, you know, you look at that and at 80 saying, I've given all I can. And here you're at 78, three years into a 25, three years into your fourth 25-year plan. I mean, this is amazing to me. But we're using technology to stay the same. That's a great yeah. insight for today. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I was just, Listening to the tsunami, you know, I was experiencing the A360 tsunami and Ray Kurzweil was talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. within 100 years, there won't be any humans. We'll all be, you know, we'll all be Borg. Borg, right. (laughs) Or androids or like that and, you know, and everything else. I said, uh, not me. I mean, you you know, when you look at that, we essentially are right now. We just have a little attachment called yeah. our iPhone. That's all it is. It's only, it's just a little bit, you know, just a shift. Just Dean and 
we've just combined the basement with the fireplace and the patio. We're just right painting out, <laughs> painting out. Yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting. And but more and more, as I was, you know, experiencing the A three sixty tsunami, I was saying, you know, I don't think we use technology to change. I think we use technology not to change. Anyway, I think that's a good picking up point for next time. I think oh, it's yeah, yeah, and I think that. And my sense is that a lot of people, I think COVID gave people a lot of time to think about how much change they want in their life. And, uh, you know, and there was a considerable percentage of people who said, you know, I'm not putting up with the change rat race anymore. Well, happy to be back, Dan. Yep. I'll be be on next week. Yeah. April is a great month. I think. Me too. Pretty good. I'm good for every Sunday. Me too. Good. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Real pleasure. Bye.